Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's back again with Mr. Andrew Erickson to break down rounds two and three of the NFL draft. Uh, thank you as always for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And, you know, we're back. We got more players uh, placed finally after talking about them for months. And, you know, even a few of these guys, I think, will be, uh, you know, fantasy, maybe not superstars, but certainly relevant here in 2021 and obviously beyond. Andrew, how was uh, day two of the NFL draft? Dude, it was, it was fun, man. We got to see a lot of these receivers find new landing spots. And it was interesting because a lot of the, the sexier landing spots, you know, just looking at receivers specifically like the Saints, the Titans, the Detroit Lions, none of those teams drafted any wide receivers. So it's, it's kind of just interesting how things kind of played out. And we're potentially see some guys going day four or day three that potentially could have some type of role. Andrew and I will not be back uh, tomorrow to sum up rounds four through seven. Had an article go up a couple of weeks ago where I looked at the draft capital uh, angle of, you know, rookies and fantasy football and people over 80% of high performing quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends alike are drafted in the top three rounds. So not saying we're ignoring those players, but we'll get to them on Monday when Andrew and I do more of a mega pod and we look more at some of the veteran ramifications on top of the players picked. The goal for this pod is just to go through every wide receiver, running back, quarterback, tight end selected in rounds two through three. You know, we'll try to just make it pretty cut and dry are they gonna be worth our time fantasy or not a lot of guys to get to i encourage you to go to pff.com check out our fantasy tracker where we have more thought out opinions on all these guys and as always we will continue to inform ourselves better as new information rolls in as we continue to get smarter throughout this offseason process it's great to finally be here in the offseason andrew it's been a lot of uh you know wondering for a while so at least we are finally making that next step let's get things started with Ole Miss wide receiver Elijah Moore going to the Jets. Andrew, are you buying more as a PPR slot monster in gangrene? Yes, I think that you should. Again, I, I already have him kind of in my mental rankings. I, I think that he'll probably be able to beat out someone or like Denzel Mims. Uh, Denzel Mims is going to be on the outside, so he's going to be competing with those perimeter targets with a Corey Davis-like player. And look, I looked more – so this Jameson Crowder thing, because – it was like months ago that we heard that he was going to get cut from the team and like he just never got cut. So I looked more into his actual contract. So they have a potential out and they can save over $10 million by releasing him. So James Crowder is long gone, I think. And I think that means Elijah Moore is locked into that slot role. And I think that's that's good for PPR for for PPR. Uh, formats for sure yeah i mean it's obviously not going to be quite as dynamic as it was with sam darnold and adam gase you know we knew gase with Davis landry <laughs> eddie royal eddie royal even wes walker uh, with the broncos he's always been feeding his uh guys but yeah it looks like with crowder i'm not sure what they're waiting for man i'm looking at over the cap right now and you're correct they can save 10 million dollars in That's cap like savings but <laughs> it's it's the same if they do it pre-june first or after yeah. june first so i'm not sure why they've been dragging their feet but i don't think you use i believe the 30 fourth overall pick on a player that you don't plan on starting immediately in three wide receiver sets, man. Again, we talked about this yesterday with Zach Wilson. Like to me, the biggest takeaway with these jets is just how cheap everyone is right now. I'm curious to see where more winds up because if he just shoots up the top and we start seeing him prices of wide receiver three, but Corey Davis is the odd man out. Uh, it's going to be, you know, an interesting to see how that uh, falls, but either way, man, this jets offense and best ball, probably the easiest one to stack. Uh, and that's going to remain that way after the draft. Uh, the third running back domino fell only half four total uh, having fallen uh, through three rounds, but Javante Williams joined the Broncos. Uh, so Andrew committee with Melvin Gordon, or is he taking the F over? He's taking over, man. It's like the Broncos, 
Look, that Melvin Gordon talked about how he was like underrated, and then the team just goes out and trades up to basically draft his replacement. Again, he's going to be a free agent next year. The only other guy on the roster that's under contract now it was Mike Boone before this. So they were always in the market to take a running back and then for them to be this aggressive. Look, Javante Williams, okay, he's a second round pick, but look, if if you look at last year's draft, all those guys went in the second round were basically essentially kind of what the new first round is for running back. So again, I'm not going to say, oh, he was a second rounder, so we should look at him differently than a Harris, than an ETN. I view them all pretty similarly. But yeah, I think that Williams is going to is going to take over. Yeah, I mean, look, usually the higher you drafted, the better. But we've seen since 2010, 10 rookie RBs drafted in the first round, finished in the top 24, eight in the second round and six in the third round. So it's not like, you know, we don't see guys on day two getting immediate roles. And yeah, man, I think 2021, Melvin Gordon is a little bit like 2020, Leonard Fournette. I think Fournette will have higher. I mean, I think Fournette had higher preseason expectations. He was kind of going in the top 20 picks. I don't think Gordon's going to be there, but that late season DUI, man, still has not been addressed. I don't think, you know, I, I'd have to look more specifically at Gordon's contract to see what sort of dead cap they'd be taking on uh, if he's out of the picture. But like he was not good last year at all, Andrew. And that's kind of putting it mildly. Obviously, they got rid of Philip Lindsay. They felt the need to add Javante. And as I pull up the numbers now, they'd be leaving about six million in dead money. So, okay, probably not getting cut, but I'm with you. I could see Javante taking this over sooner rather than later. I'm fine for the Javante over ETN takes. I think they're both going to settle in kind of in that bottom of the uh, RB2 range. Uh, first instinct, I put Javante just ahead of Josh Jacobs at like RB23 and felt great about it. I'm still team Najee though. Are you with me there? Najee Harris is the best rookie back so far. Yeah, I think that you know, we want Williams and Etienne as those lower end, you know, RB20 to RB24 range. And then Harris is up with RB15, 14, wherever you want. Like basically almost a fringe RB1, depending on how things kind of play out with injuries. But yeah, I think it's clear cut. So next up, Purdue wide receiver Rondale Moore is now an Arizona Cardinal. I think my single favorite NFL draft comp I heard this offseason was from PFF's own Austin Gale, who described Rondale Moore as, I believe it was Calvin Johnson and Cole Beasley's body. So look, he's explosive. We've, you know, I saw him go all over my Buckeyes a couple of years ago. Like I'm not doubting what the guy can do with the ball in his hands. I guess the question is like, what do the Cardinals think he can do? Because Andy Isabella was a second round wide receiver in the clip Kingsbury. And he has freaking, I think 48 targets through two seasons at this point. Obviously we heard some of the pre-draft reports that some teams even consider him more as more of a Darren Sproles running back type. Andrew, man, DeAndre Hopkins is going to be soaking up his usual elite target share. Do you think there's enough opportunity for more to really put up uh, big numbers in 2021? I think it just has to do with whether he's healthy or not, because whenever he's been on the field, he gets the ball in his hands and it's whether it's all yak. That's basically what he does. I mean, if you look at the three games he played this season, he had 11 and a half catches per game in three games. Like that's, that's absolutely insane. He had over 80 yards after the catch per game in his three games that he played in 2020. But that's the thing with him. He just hasn't stayed healthy since his his freshman season when he basically just blew up Purdue as a 18 year old freshman. He was absolutely insane. I guess I like that he's going to probably play in the slot because the Cardinals run a lot of four wide receiver sets. So there's actually sometimes two wide receivers in the slot. There is no more Larry Fitzgerald. I don't think this is good for Christian Kirk. I think that means that he's going to retain his field stretching role, which he hasn't really been that good at throughout his career, which kind of sucks for him because I like Christian Kirk. And I think that's something that you mentioned in the, the chat that we had going on. It's not good for the running backs because Moore's dot last year was 2.6. 
which is egregiously low for, I mean, that's, that's like a running back a dot. And that's kind of what we saw from chase Edmonds because it's the air raid offense. They use the running backs, you know, near the line of scrimmage and that could be gone. So right now, chase Edmonds RB two season is on life support. Okay. It's not the worst case scenario for Edmonds. It does factor into our evaluation, but it obviously would have been far worse if they drafted a true running back. We do need to consider if those same sort of targets are going to be there. I remember like JD McKissick was, you know, furiously, at least I was furious seeing the stat, like number one in the league by far. And just like screens while lined up in the slaughter out wide, Alvin Kamara was up there too. Chase Edmonds sneakily was one of those guys up there. I mean, when they got him the ball, they kind of used him like a Rondale Moore last year. Now with Kenyon Drake out of the picture, will Edmonds just kind of be the RB one James Connors out of the picture. I don't know. There's a lot of unknowns going on in Arizona. And unfortunately <laughs> we have fake sharp clip Kingsbury being the guy to figure it all out. So I get it. We got talented players all over the formation, but Deandre Hopkins lined up as just the Cardinals left wide receiver on eight, percent of his snaps last year we have not seen a ton of evidence that cliff kingsbury is able to take all these weapons around you know credit to him for getting one of the few players you know in this league shorter than kyler murray out there so maybe that would boost his confidence no pun intended but man i'm just i'm not thrilled about this landing spot man i wanted rondale more of the saints i wanted to bet well okay well we can agree that rondale over Kadarius tony right 100 that's okay maybe my least favorite pick of the draft so far i think rondale is Fine in Dynasty still. I just am not expecting a ton of 2021 targets. Like, A.J. Green should not play over Rondale Moore, but I think he's going to because that's the world we live in, Andrew, unfortunately. Uh, the Steelers added another tight end with Pat uh, Frymouth, uh, number two really consensus tight end in the draft behind Kyle Pitts. I think this, this just makes Eric Ebron really a non-viable fantasy option. Again, only Evan Ingram, Rob Gronkowski, soon to be Kyle Pitts, have been the rookie tight end ones in fantasy since 2010. I just don't think there's going to be enough volume for Pat Andrew, are you interested in him as, you know, a dynasty guy? Because obviously, you know, Ebron doesn't really have a super, uh, you know, long-term future in Pittsburgh, at least you wouldn't think. And obviously, uh, Pat, you know, at Penn State really did show some high-end receiving chops. Yeah, he's the prototypical, like, this is the this is like a normal tight end prospect that's coming in, not a Kyle Pitts, but someone that's really well-rounded. And yeah, Eric Ebron, he's a free agent in 2022. So I think that could be as soon as next year where he kind of fills in that role. There's just a lot of question marks again with the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. Like, is Juju Smith-Schuster going to be back? Because that's like a big thing. Is Ben Roethlisberger going to be the quarterback? So there's a lot of question marks. So again, in redraft, you're not going to look at Pat Fryerman for really anything unless there's like an injury or something that happens to Eric Ebron. But I think dynasty-wise, like, look, man, we talked about this. There's going to be people reaching on running backs because of their names, despite the fact that they're going to get bad draft capital. You just go with Fryermuth. Like, he's going, he's a safe guy that's just going to accrue value because he's a really, really good tight end prospect. But he's just going later in drafts because of the, the Kyle Pitts hype. I know a lot of people were disappointed. The Steelers did get a center later, but people wanted, you know, one of these first two-round picks to be used on the offensive line. I don't have really a reason to believe the Steelers are going to be better on the offensive front last year, other than they can't get a ton worse. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of the Rams from last year, though, man. I was so ready for that offense to completely fall apart. Their line already slipped from 2017, 2018, and 2019. They didn't add, like, any new resources other than a late-round pick. Lo and behold, they had some continuity. Things did get better. So I'm willing to give Pittsburgh a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt, I think, than most. As bad as things were, man, they were still a 12th-ranked scoring offense 
offense last year. I don't think we can just take the last six game sample and ignore the good things that happened before again, you know, and I'm, I'm just going to start turning every Steelers conversation to a Najee Harris uh, tangent, but like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were the league's single worst offense in yards before contact per carry last season. Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones, Andrew, I believe you had the stat about them. Like they were, you know, one of them was an RB two and a heavy majority of the weeks last year. Like obviously we prefer the Steelers have an offensive line, but Najee Harris being projected for over 300 targets or not 300 targets. My goodness. AJ Brown, maybe <laughs> uh, being projected for over 300 touches, only four running backs to say that last year. And I do think uh, Najee again, our RB 15 RB 16 at the moment is going to be creeping in that top 12 sooner rather than later. The uh, Seahawks add to the wide receiver room, Dwayne Eskridge uh, looking like he's probably going to fill into the slot out wide, maybe not Tyler Lockett, you know, gets a lot of run inside, but importantly, he kind of seems to offer a little bit more of that horizontal uh, ability there. Get him some, you know, pop passes, crossers moving across the field. He is 24 years old, but man, athletically, this dude is a, you know, kind of joy to look at Bruce felt landed on Bruce Feldman's freaks list. 4.33 second laser 40, 350 pound bench, 505 pound squat, 37 and a half vertical. Andrew, you buying Eskridge or is he just more like a great real life player and probably not much of a fancy asset? Well, he's older than DK Metcalf. So that's like one of the things that's like an issue just because he's look, he's already getting messages from AARP basically because <laughs> of how old he is. I, I mean, the spot's pretty decent when you look at. You know, he's attached to Russell Wilson. Hopefully, he's the number three receiver. He's going to have spike weeks here and there, but. I really, it's going to be, it's because the offense is so concentrated between DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett that it's going to take an injury for one of these guys for Eskridge to step in. But this is also something that I think Eric Eager has talked about a lot that the Seahawks needed to add an actual number three wide receiver and Eskridge in that role. I kind of like that in that, in that essence of him being that type of player, because he's really fast. And like you mentioned, it's all the, the mesh concepts, the drags, like he's a yak monster like that's what he's the best at so I, I like the fit and I think that he's a decent kind of guy in, in dynasty he's older which is not great but if he gets into the game and Russell Wilson's throwing him the ball then he's going to be productive Hashtag better in best ball, probably going to be someone you'll want to stack with Russ if you happen to come away with him and the higher end receivers earlier in the draft. Look, I mean, again, I'm high on Chris Carson because I don't, they haven't added any running backs to this point. He's going to get fed. This is an offense that has been, you know, adamant, publicly adamant about wanting to run the ball more. I just don't know if they can. They quote unquote fixed their defense at the end of 2020. Andrew, their final six quarterbacks they faced were Dwayne Haskins, Carson Wentz, a hurt version of Jared Goff, CJ Bethard, Sam Darnold, and Colt McCoy. Before that, they were 28th in points per game allowed. Again, you know, you want to establish a Pete Carroll, that's fine. I'm not sure they're going to be able to do that in the majority of the second halves of games they're going to be in. Uh, another NFC West wide receiver, Tutu Atwell is now a member of the Rams. Bobby Trees, Cooper Cup, top two receivers there. I don't think anyone doubts that. Then we got Van Jefferson, Deshaun Jackson, Tutu Atwell. This guy is 155 pounds, dripping wet. Andrew, do you really think Tutu can do more than just, you know, supply a couple of big plays here and there? Because I just don't think there's many targets to go around. He's going to be like Matthew Stafford's new Marvin Hall. He's going to have like 12 catches on the season, and 10 of them are going to be for 40-plus yards. 
Yeah, he's going to be the guy that's going to blow up one week and people are going to chase him on the waiver wire. I think that he'll <laughs> yeah. blow up again. And he's just going to do nothing. I think it's an insurance policy on Deshaun Jackson because I think that they're they're built very similarly. They're both deep threats. So that's kind of what they can do. And it, it's good for Tutu that he can learn under, you know, basically the expert in his field in Deshaun Jackson. It, I think that the perfect comparison with him, though, is KJ Hamler. So you look at KJ Hamler. So he's a super explosive slot wide receiver, but he's playing with two significantly better wide receivers that are going to command targets. So I think that's the perfect way to look at him. So however you felt about KJ Hamler and how you feel about him now, that's how you should feel about Tutu Atwell. We need to draw a line on weight eventually. We're going to have like a 125 pound slot receiver <laughs> that played soccer their entire Like, man, I, I remember like playing football in high school and college. It'd be funny because, you know, the season would end, you know, didn't have a ton of playoff success. Okay. Season ends like late November. And when you have that six, seven month stretch where you're not putting on the shoulder pads, you're not hitting, you start seeing the guys in seven on seven in the gym emerge as some of the quote unquote better players, but everything changes once you put the pads on. Obviously Tutu has done plenty on the field to warrant being selected and, you know, this highly in the NFL draft, but 155 pounds, man, I just feel like that's too damn small at some point. So yeah, Deshaun Jackson worked out, but we can't keep comparing every fast, small receiver to Deshaun Jackson. Like Djax is one of one. So I just feel like, again, I'm not hit out on Devonte Smith. The more I think about him in Philly, I think he'll actually see a ton of targets and could be a viable guy. But if the weight starts with a one five, Andrew, I'm, I think that might be where the line is drawn. Yeah. I think that it's really, it's about big play upside, but you know, Atwell before the draft, he was someone that, so this isn't surprising to me to see him get drafted. This all like he was generating a decent amount of buzz, but he was someone I put on my fave list for the reasons you just kind of listed off. Like he was super productive in college, which is good, but at the same time, it's the weight that is an issue. I mean, I think I actually pretty sure he actually weighed in at like 149 pounds, like at his actual pro day. So like you're being, you're being generous when you give him the 155. Even freaking worse. I will say this. I mean, it's going to be borderline erotic with Matthew Stafford. We see him just oh, take yeah. that big play action fake and start looking downfield. That guy's always done one of the prettier deep balls in the league. Obviously, Sean McVay was not happy with what they had last year. Goff had one of, if not the lowest deep ball rates in the entire league. We saw that eventually catch up to them. Should not be a problem in LA this year. Uh, Panthers got one of the, you know, steals of their draft if he's healthy. He had some issues with the medicals, but LSU wide receiver Terrace Marshall got overshadowed by Jamar Chase, um, you know, and Justin Jefferson during his time at LSU, but he was putting up numbers himself, really stands out, you know, in this small class of wide receivers, I believe he's 6'3", 209, something around there, I guess, I guess we can't keep my word for every single weight we're throwing out there after the 2-2 <laughs> debacle, but Terrace Marshall is a bigger contested catch artist, he made 25 catches on 41 contested targets over the past two years, Andrew, I'm just worried about overall targets, man, again, like Marshall, 2-2, and Eskridge, these guys could all be fine real-life assets, but you look at Carolina, and you want to draw out your projections, like DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and Christian McCaffrey are all going to be projected for more targets than Terrace Marshall. And then you have the elephant in the room, which is Sam Darnold at oh, quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, we had that too. It sucks too, because like, I'm looking at all the weapons. And I'm just like, do I need to move Sam Darnold up now? But I'm, it's just like, now I'm like getting torn between the Sam Darnold take. And because I mean, there's a, it's filled with weapons, like all over the place in Carolina. Like I, I would love for a quarterback to be attached there. And just, it's annoying that they didn't draft fields. That just would have been perfect. But of course, no, they got to take a cornerback because that's a cornerstone of building a franchise is a cornerback to you know, really lock down, you know, opposing offenses. But I think for me, 
I guess I kind of looked at it. I was like, yes, okay, the targets really probably aren't going to be there for him. Robbie Anderson's a free agent after this year, so that's one thing kind of looking a little bit more long-term in the situation. Again, Sam Darnold, he's, is he the long-term? We don't really know that either. It's He's kind of – they picked up his fifth-year option, but we still don't necessarily know what they view him. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater was under contract, and now he's gone. So it seems like Carolina's kind of doing whatever they want at quarterback. They're just trying to find a guy that's going to make them work for it. The slot thing is interesting, trying to figure out who's going to play in the slot. Come on, DJ. Come on. Um, I mean, that's what I think makes sense, but I think it's maybe going to be a combination of Anderson and DJ Moore. Looking back at 2019 when Terrace Marshall played for LSU with Joe Brady, that's kind of where he he was an outside receiver there. Like, he played in the perimeter. So that's what I would assume he would play in the NFL is outside on the perimeter, you know, moving Anderson and DJ Moore back inside. So, again – we also haven't really seen Sam Darnold have a lot of success, you know, targeting the perimeter. It's been all of the slot production, whether that's from Gase or not. I mean, that's where the fantasy points have come from. So, yeah, this one's tough. I think that Dynasty, he's okay still, but year one, you're kind of like, you don't feel great about it. it and things, the slot stuff is good for DJ, but it is just more competition, man. I, again, I think we need to have Robbie and DJ right around that wide receiver two borderline. We're probably a little bit too high on DJ. We're not high enough on Robbie and Marshall kind of lowers the ceilings for them each, unfortunately, as again, loaded as this offense is with talent really at every skill position. A couple of, uh, we had some quarterbacks fly off the board. None are expected to start, but Kyle Trask from Florida went to the Buccaneers. Uh, we had Texas A&M's Kellen Mongo and the Vikings, Stanford's Davis Mills to the Texans. So Andrew, one really interesting thing to come out of today, which not exactly unsur- unsurprising, but uh, per uh, Daniel Jeremiah on NFL Network, he said that everyone in the league expects Deshaun Watson has played his final snap with the Texans. So we know Kirk Cousins is the man in Minnesota, you know, at least for next year or two. Obviously, Tom Brady is the guy in Tampa. Any interest in pretty much anybody in this Texans offense? And we'll just kind of lead this into the point that they also drafted me and Jared Evans' guy, mostly Jared Evans' guy. I, I learned about him from Jared Evans, Nico Collins from Michigan. Oh, man, the Texans. It's, it's, a, it's a mess. I mean, Davis Mills might – he might start. He could be the starting quarterback. I mean, I'm not – Look, Tyrod Taylor has like this cloud that follows him around that makes sure that no matter what happens, he doesn't start games for more than one or two weeks. Poor I mean, every, if you look at all like the past teams he's been with, he's always been replaced by the rookie. And it just seems like that's going to be a foregone conclusion with Davis Mills. I guess the only one I like is probably Kellen Mond because he has dual threat ability he's sitting behind Kirk Cousins. Again, Kirk Cousins contract doesn't expire till 2023. So he's not someone that you're going to draft and, you know, a dynasty league and assume that, yo, he'll, he'll get some action. I think that he's interesting because he possesses because of the dual threat, he can flash in a preseason game, which is enough to just gain value. So I think that Mon would be the guy that I would go after. Trask doesn't really offer a lot of value in terms of rushing or mobility and, I mean, he was only really good when he had Pitts and Tony. When he, when he, like, he missed those guys in one game, and he was terrible. It was a so, rough bowl game. Rough so, bowl so game. This, so that's one big concern 
with Trask. It is Bruce Arians, though. I mean, if you just look at the best offense for him to maybe develop in, it'd be there. But then again, man, I'm not all that like Bruce Arians was just retired. He just won another Super Bowl with Brady. Obviously, Brady's gonna play another couple of years. I'm not so sure Arians has this like 10 year plan with Tampa Bay in mind. So hopefully, he can get uh, Trask, you know, playing uh, playing well. And he did some good things, man. Ten touchdowns, zero interceptions when throwing 20 yards downfield. Uh, you know, you can make the case that he's not all that removed from Mac Jones in terms of you know just overall upside but at least in fantasy people the guy cannot move and because of that we are not going to be interested in him for the foreseeable future yeah with Kellen Mond man one fun stat from a PFF Eric our resident PhD uh he was 14 of 57 when throwing outside the hash marks at least 10 yards downfield that's gonna be a sheesh for me Andrew pretty brutal there the big issue with Mond man he has the tools just really wasn't making the big time throws enough uh so hey that's the developmental QB you kind of want in the third round. So maybe he figures it out, just not expecting, you know, uh, him to really be a big time fantasy guy in the year 2021. And yeah, Davis Mills, he could start. We also got Ryan Finley in the equation. You know, maybe Watson is back. Who who really knows? Our PFF uh, draft guy pro comp for Davis Mills was Matt Castle. Fairly underwhelming, just realized. Only has 11 starts to his name. Former five-star recruit. Unfortunately, though, like Trask, like Mac Jones, this guy is just not a mobile quarterback. And in that atrocity of a Texans offense, I just don't think that really any of these QBs need to be prioritized in fantasy land. Last thing we're going to talk about the Texans. I mentioned this before. Nico Collins is there. Andrew, here are the wide receivers that Nico Collins is joining on the Texans. Brandon Cooks, Randall Cobb, Andre Roberts, Kiki Cootie, Alex Erickson, Chris Conley, Chris Moore, Dante Moncrief, and Isaiah Coulter. I mean, Nico could be starting in three wide receiver sets and see 80 or 90 targets that are not necessarily going to be of the fantasy friendly variety. We could be looking at a big time prayer yard player here, but at least in terms of raw targets, man, there could be worse spots for Nico to land. Hey man, that's, but that's Nico, Nico Collins is used to this, man. Like he's not, this isn't out of his range of outcomes where he's, he's used to bad quarterback play. He's a contested catch receiver. That's part of his game. So Look, if there was an, a, a particular receiver you're looking for to just kind of soak up just raw volume, it would be Nico Collins. So I, I kind of like it. I think that that is it makes him way more interesting. It doesn't really matter who the quarterback is. I think that if there's if he can slide into that number two, which I mean, looking at the depth chart, it's really not that out of the it's not hard to kind of yeah. guess that to happen. Brandon Cooks is there. And again, Brandon Cooks has a history of concussion. So we could be looking at Nico Collins as the wide receiver one on a really bad Texans offense that has to throw 50, 60 times a game because they gave it up so many points. So I, I, yeah, I think I'm in on Nico Collins as well. Preferred best ball strategy so far has been only getting three or four running backs and just loading up wide receivers. So people, you see Nico Collins sitting there and, you know, the teen rounds or so, don't be afraid to pull the trigger based on volume alone. Andrew, I believe this was one of your guys, but we actually had Tennessee wide receiver Josh Palmer land on the Chargers. I mean, he is going to potentially be in three wide receiver sets. We know it's Keenan Allen. We know it's Mike Williams, but I think he at least projects as like a higher end version of what Jalen Guyton and Tyron Johnson bring the table. Might not be a guy that's, you know, going to get a ton of consistent targets, but you know, the way the Chargers run this offense, man, like their number three receiver is just a full on field stretcher. And that's exactly what Palmer did in college. 16.6 average target depth. We don't have a ton of production from him, but as truthers like you have stated, the film looks a lot better than what the stat sheet says. Oh, yeah. No, his quarterback play was horrendous. So 31% of his deep targets were deemed catchable. 
being dating back to 2019, which was third worst in this class. And, and that's the thing. That's his role was a deep threat and none of his targets were ever accurate. So he couldn't ever really put it together, but his draft stock really rose after the senior bowl, you know, PFF in the draft guide, it, it actually identifies, you know, how they did against man to man in the senior bowl drills. And that's something he was the best at. So that's something that scouts took notice of. And that's why he went day two, despite the fact that if you look at his just raw college numbers, like, wait, this guy got drafted in the second in the second or third round. Like, how is that possible? But he's got size six foot one, 210 pounds. And the one thing that he did have that was statistically impressive was end zone targets. He got a ton of end zone targets, um, in his college offense. And that's something that's kind of missing in the Chargers offense because Hunter Henry's gone. So I think that that's really interesting for Josh Palmer. Mike Williams is a free agent at the end of the season. So Josh Palmer balls out. We could see him elevate to wide receiver two and potentially, you know, Keenan Allen's getting a bit older. I think, I think Josh Palmer is a really good fit here. And he's someone that I'm going to be targeting a lot in rookie drafts because I don't think a lot of people know about him. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Gabriel Davis last year. It's like Gabriel Davis was a fourth round pick but nobody was really hyping him up, but he had the decent draft capital. He was in a good offense with a good quarterback. And that's kind of the case here. Reminds me a little bit of Jalen Rager in terms of just the quarterback play was what held him back. And uh, fun staff from PFS, Austin Gale, percentage of accurate targets among FBS wide receivers since 2019. We had Jamar Chase at number six with 71%. Devontae Smith, number nine, 64%. All the way down at 157, we have Josh Palmer with a 42%. <laughs> accurate target yeah. rate and can't, now it's justin herbert it's like this is what you need <laughs> can't do much if the ball isn't in your general vicinity people uh tight end hunter long went to the dolphins so i was expecting to get again i found out who hunter long was today uh was expecting to read his draft profile and see oh this is a block first guy nothing to really worry about not the case apparently you know he's nothing special as a blocker and i'm worried now that he's overlapping a bit with mike Jasicki. andrew should we be out? Should we be selling on Mike Jasicki at this point? We had Jalen Waddle enter the offense. Well, Fuller's there now. Obviously, Devontae Parker has been the one to get paid in this equation. I like Jasicki. We haven't necessarily seen him put it all together. And he's one of these guys, similar to Parker, whose skill set as, you know, more of a contested catch maestro than this pristine route runner probably meshes better with the departed Ryan Fitzpatrick than the future, which is Tua. Well, Kaseki's such a weird tight end because he doesn't break tackles. Yeah. He's not a yak tight end. And, and that's usually what we get from tight ends. It's, it's, it's all about the yards after the catch. Like that's, you look at all the best fantasy tight ends and that's usually the way that they produce. But I don't, I don't remember the exact number of missed tackles he's forced in his career, but it's really, really low. <laughs> and it, it's kind of almost like comical of how low it is. You're like, how is that possible for a guy that's like a super athlete? Like it's like Zach Ertz esque numbers <laughs> in terms of uh, missed tackles. But yeah, that's what I was thinking. I, I first thought about Mike Kiseki when Hunter Long got drafted by the Dolphins. I was like, look, Kiseki for me, I think is still like on the tight end nine, 10 range just because it's tight end so like you have to put somebody there it's it's yeah. tough but again you don't really i think that this is the reason why in your drafts you want to get darren waller you want to get george kittle like you want to get these guys and and gasecki has the name cachet where you kind of actually have to invest somewhat of significant draft capital and we have to take him in the ninth or tenth round which isn't ideal when you could just take a guy in the 16th round yeah. that's probably a better value or just focus on getting a guy like a hawkinson just paying up for him. So really that range of guys is someone that I'm probably going to try to avoid. Yeah. I mean, why get you sick when you can just wait several more rounds, get guys like Gerald Everett, Cole Komet, yeah, exactly. maybe the biggest winner 
of draft weekend, Anthony Ferkser, but more on that in a bit. Uh, we had one of the more dynamic wide receivers uh, fall, Diami Brown to the Washington football team. Andrew, this is exciting, man. I, I have a metric I've referenced on here a few times. Playmaker rate, basically take big plays, touchdowns, broken tackles, give them a little extra weight, divide by total touches. He was number three among all draft eligible wide receivers from last season, right behind Devontae Smith. 18.4 yard average target depth. So he was getting a lot of those big plays from just kind of the majority of his opportunities being uh, downfield deep balls. But, you know, from our PFF draft guide, Mike Renner has stated that he's confident that he showed enough in his route tree when he wasn't asked to go vertical that when an NFL team asked him to be more of a pure just X receiver, whatever you want him to play, he can expand on that route tree. We've seen this man, you know, a lot of the Ohio State receivers in the Urban Meyer offense, Michael Thomas, Terry McLaurin, even like Curtis Samuel, just guys that just because you weren't asked to do certain things in college doesn't mean you can't do them in the NFL. So I don't know if there's going to be enough targets for Brown to necessarily ball out. But then again, man, it looks like he slides in pretty comfortably right next to McLaurin and Curtis Samuel. I guess this is all to say, holy hell, man, Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be fun to watch this year. Yeah, dude, Diami Brown is someone that I was really impressed with looking at his numbers, watching him on tape. He is really fluid off the line of scrimmage. He gets open at ease on the outside. And I think he's like NFL, he's like one of the more pro-ready guys in this class. And it's not really surprising to see that he went in day two. Um, I don't think that he was ever going to fall into day three just because he's he's ready to go. And he fits in really well with the Washington football team offense. He can go on the opposite outside, opposite McLaurin. McLaurin can be more of the possession receiver. He gets Curtis Samuel operating more. I think this means also Samuel's probably going to be in the slot then for the most part because Diami Brown yeah. doesn't play the slot yeah. at all. And, and I think that's probably what we want. We saw Samuel ball out last year when he was in the slot and I guess maybe the, the offensive coordinator has learned from his his woes of using Curtis Samuel the wrong way the first time around, and he's starting to figure it out. It's like, nope, we're not getting one of these tiny-ass slot receivers because there are plenty of them in this draft class. could have taken any of them, but he went after a specific guy that's not that a deep-threat X receiver in Diami Brown. Um, also, too, I think that this kind of hurts Logan Thomas. Again, more pass catchers are going involved, and Logan Thomas was Mr. Volume at tight end last year. So, uh, yeah, Logan Thomas, try to sell him if you can. Yeah. And hey, one of the reasons why before the draft that we were kind of hesitant on going fully in on Ryan Fitzpatrick was because of all the potential rumors of them adding a quarterback. But here we are, Andrew, on May 1st, and Tyler, Taylor Heineke is still the only person that could feasibly push Fitzpatrick. I think he's looking like a pretty damn great uh, fancy option, man. He's not the latest of late round guys, but man, you know, if he's still sitting in that QB 15, 16 range, I think by the time week one comes along, uh, you'll be surprised when people are going to have him ranked as a legit QB one in fantasy land. The Packers finally got a wide receiver. We think Clemson wide receiver, Amari Rogers. He is a candidate to switch to uh, running back, potentially 5'10", 212. He is a slot receiver. He's not going to play on the outside. I'm fine with this, man. Now, his NFL player comp is Ty Montgomery. I've long hated Ty Montgomery only because he wears number 88. This player is fine. If they use him in that Randall Cobb, you know, slot hybrid, line him up in the backfield, sometimes roll, I think it could be great. You know, Amari Rogers is a tackle breaker after the catch. Not a ton of contested stuff, but that's fine. You got Devontae Adams, you got MVS stretching the field. For now, we got one of the best quarterbacks alive under center. Amari Rogers, even if I don't think there's going to probably be enough targets for him to put up big numbers in 2021, I think he makes his Packers offense better because they don't really have a player like him right now. Yeah, man, it's weird that the way that these landing spots ended up turning out because the guys that I'm most excited about because of the landing spots are Josh Palmer, are Nico Collins, and 
Amari Rogers, like yeah. three guys. I, I did not anticipate being like, Oh yeah, this is the guy that got the good landing spot. This is the guy I'm going to be moving up. But those are the guys that ended up getting into situations where either they have a good quarterback or they have a path to a role on their offense where some of these guys are just buried on their depth charts. And you're just kind of wondering, okay, well, where's the production ever going to come from? But here you have it because look behind Avante Adams are, I mean, look, there's just a bunch of guys and yeah. look Al Alan Lazard has been the slot guy for the most part, but he's been inconsistent. Mari Rogers got some draft capital. Alan Lazard doesn't have that. He doesn't. He's got the relationship with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers like hates everybody right now. So, <laughs> so really, I mean, that obviously changes a lot too. It's like, but you know, who knows if Devontae Adams leaves next year and there's a new quarterback, Jordan Love. And I, there's a lot of ways where Amari Rodgers can very quickly rise up the ranks in the target pecking order and they invested in him. So I think that he is well worth a, a rookie investment for sure. Yeah, that third round draft capital. Look, man, I when I watched the uh, Clemson Ohio State, like I actually thought Cornell Powell looked a lot better. He was the one putting up big numbers, you know, putting uh, freaking poor Sean Wade in a blender on multiple uh, occasions out there. I really wasn't all that impressed by Rodgers, but guess what? Rodgers is the third round wide receiver with Aaron freaking Rodgers as the quarterback. This is why we've tried to stress on this podcast as much as you might love or hate a prospect. We really need to not completely overhaul our opinions once they land somewhere, but at least be willing to, you know, take in the new information and adjust accordingly. RB4 off the board, Trey Sermon to the 49ers. Andrew, I would love this so much more. Like this is the one scenario where we wish Mac Jones would have been the quarterback that the 49ers would have taken at three, because if it's going to be Trey Lance season, man, I think we could be looking at a Ravens Bills situation where we have a committee backfield of guys not getting many targets and they're getting vultured by their QB near the goal line. I think Sermon, as long as his ADP kind of stays, you know, outside the top 100, he's going to be a fine late round RB target, you know, similar in that kind of Gus Edwards uh, type mold. Old, but I think expecting him to one take over from Raheem Mostert and two see anything resembling you know consistent 12 15 touches per game probably more of a pipe dream at least for 2021. Well, he's got a chance because he's got draft capital attached to his name, which Raheem yeah. Mostert and Jeff Wilson don't have. So that that's one thing that he has going for him, and that's always that was always my thing with Sermon was if a team I remember writing about it, it was like if a team gives him day two capital, like I'm definitely going to try to get him in a lot of different places. And it really depends on how the market reacts to this news. Does Raheem Mostert just come crashing down? Does Sermon just skyrocket? Again, it seems like for me, I want to get the guy that's just the cheapest because whoever ends up being getting starts in that backfield is going to be productive. We've seen it, you know, ever since Kyle Shanahan landed there. It, it doesn't matter which running back is there. They're always productive. You know, McKinnon had games last year. Well, Wilson had a huge game last year. Jermichael Hasty had starts last year, like all over the place. Um, but yeah, running backs get hurt. So I, I agree with you. As long as Sermon's ADP is, is lower than the other two, then I'm just going to be keep scooping him up. I don't hate Mo. I think most are just to be viewed as the starter, but again, these things can change, you know, rather quickly. I'd say yes, Sermon has a draft capital, but Mostert, you know, ran for 220 yards and four touchdowns in the NFC Championship all the way back in 2020. So I do think he'll still be the starter. Ideally, we get Mostert and Sermon one-two punch. We can live with two back committees in fantasy football. If Wilson, if Wayne Gallman start getting involved, God forbid you, oh, Michael yeah, Hasty. That's when things are going to be a little bit more iffy. So all good news for Trey Sermon. You want Kyle Shanahan to be your play caller. I get that. Just realize with these mobile quarterbacks, as much as they might open up, you know, so those extra lanes with the read options. I mean, J.K. Dobbins averaged six yards per carry last year. Gus Edwards is always over five. If they're not getting 20 carries per game, 
or any targets. It's just a problem in fantasy land. Last few here, uh, wide receiver Anthony Schwartz went to the Browns. Now, this guy is arguably the fastest wide receiver in the NFL now. True track star. I believe his 40 was a 4-2-7. With that said, I mean, he is a one-hitter quitter speed that's it. Not even sure if he can run routes. Seems like he was more just a gadget guy that, hey, toss him out there for a few plays like a J.J. Nelson, but that's it. Any real interest, Andrew? Well, again, so it's, it's similar with the Josh Palmer situation where you got Mr. Bo Nix throwing him the ball. Again, uh, Anthony Schwartz was teammates with Seth Williams at Auburn, and, and that's the thing. Like They never could take advantage of his deep speed. Like It was all yak was mostly what he was used for with his speed, but he can – I mean, if you have four to six speed, like they, teams are going to want to use you downfield. So I think he fits really well with the Browns offense. Again, man, it seems like there's a lot of other late round QBs, but I mean, Baker Mayfield is another guy that, again, he was super efficient at the end of last year, you know, adding in a guy with this type of speed that's, they don't really have part of their offense right now. I think it can help them a lot, especially if they move him around in the backfield. Cause he, that's something that's not talked about enough too. He's pretty dynamic. They gave him a lot of rushing attempts at Auburn which is pretty interesting as well. So, I mean, yeah, the speed is, is definitely infatuating for sure. And I mean, there have been rumors about Odell Beckham getting traded or cut. So that's kind of an intriguing thing as well, but I mean, he's going to be a role player. So not really fantasy relevant. He's going to be a wide receiver five. Expect him to probably be rotating, not even rotating. I think we'll see him like 10 snaps a game probably with him kind of being one of the focal points of those plays, at least trying to stretch the field deep, probably already talked far too much about Anthony Schwartz here uh, at 1241 AM last one, Andrew tight end Trey McKitty with the chargers, Jared Cook, Donald Parham. We do not care about Trey McKitty. Yes or no. We do not care about Trey. McKitty. And that is that everybody. I want to touch on uh, just one more thing here. Mike Davis Miles Gaskin. They're yes. still alive, people. The Falcons and the freaking Dolphins have not committed to another running back just yet. I will say, you know, there's still some out there. Kenny Gamewell. Um, is it who's their uh, North Carolina one? Michael. Michael Carter. Michael Carter. Is out there. That's right. Khalil Herbert's out there. There's still um, some guys where if if they go around four to one of these teams, I'm not gonna. It's. I wouldn't expect Gamewell to go to the Dolphins and like take Gaskin's job at this point or any of those running backs to take their job at this point, but it could cause a little bit more of a committee situation. So not saying it's Miles Gaskin or Mike Davis full blown three down RB season yet, but man, they're big winners. And even Chase Edmonds, again, I do think Rondale Moore is going to eat more into Edmonds target share than probably any one of the wide receivers, but at a minimum, man, Mike Davis and Miles Gaskin, like they're, they're going to be bumping up those fancy ranks once we get around to updating them. Yeah, I think that right now they have established themselves as they should both be the top-ranked running backs in their backfield, regardless of whoever gets drafted. So if Kenneth Gamewell gets drafted by the Falcons, it's like, well, who are you going to rank higher, Mike Davis or Kenneth Gamewell? It's, yeah. it's probably going to be Mike Davis. Because, look, none of these other – every other – like you said it yourself, like all these other running backs that go around four and beyond, it's just there's the 